Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, how we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty works, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, now we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As we mighty works, blessed be the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore, who reigns They already sat down. It's okay. <laughs> Under these circumstances, after so many... I didn't touch it. After so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, First of all... It's dead. Beware, the, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. 
I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that they have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Let's pray. Lord, the more that we prove that we do not know how to run this world, the more we can be reminded that you are good and that your rule and reign is perfect. Lord, strengthen us that as we walk, we would walk trusting not in this place, but in you, your word, your work, your promises, and your coming kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with his praise. I will say this is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. All right, got this thing strapped down a little bit more, see if that works. For some odd reason, this this cable that's been fine for months has decided it wants to short out. So get this one tightened up, it doesn't move, no problems. And then I start bumping this one. So it won't do that as long as I don't move. <laughs> yeah, everybody who's been here for more than 10 minutes knows the likelihood of me standing in one place for an entire service. So that's, that's just not going to happen. All right, a couple of things we'll... Uh, We'll do the bad news first, right? That's biblical. Bad news and then the good news, right? All right, so we have a handful of people sick. 
Uh, Lou and Household are not here because they have kids in the house. Lou was waiting on a test last I heard. So they have COVID in the house. The kids have it. Lou's pretty sure he's got it. That's why he's sick. So he is staying home. He's been out of work this week. Um, Bill is pretty sure he's got it because he works at the auto auction where three or four other people <laughs> do have it. One of them is Ginger's dad, Butch. He has it. So luckily so far, though, everybody's kind of got the, the, the same idea. Bill's got basically what you had, which is the headache and the sinuses and the, the, uh, the upper ear. ear stuff. Your dad's got flu symptoms. That's basically what Lou has. The only one in Lou's house they're worried about is Larry, who sings, because he's an asthmatic. So they were going Thursday to just get a dose of steroids right off the bat just to make sure those airways stay nice and open. So um, beyond that, let me see. See, I write these things down so I remember all of these. That was everybody I had on my list. So is anybody else sick we should know about? Um, I know Levi is homesick. He was sick the other day, but but he's good. But in, in this world, the school's like you have to get tested, so he's getting tested. Oh, Jeff and Elena aren't sick; they're on vacation. They're 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 alive. Did we hear from Clark? All right, we sent a message to Clark. All of a sudden, I looked over and went, wait, Clark's not here. Clark's never not here. Clark might be the only person who's here more than I'm here. <laughs> so, all right, you did raise your hand though, so somebody else is sick. Oh, there's good news on the COVID stuff. All right, let's hear it. Which we figured. I said, this, this, I, I joke, and I don't want to take anything lightly, so, so never assume that I'm like, yay, somebody's sick. But at the same token, a virus like this is going to spread. So getting through some healthy people, like, you know, your son, and even, even your dad is older, but he's, he's healthy. He's a healthy adult. There's, uh, even Larry, even Lou's house, Larry's asthmatic, but other than that, he's healthy. The kids are all healthy, so them getting it is actually not usually that catastrophic. <laughs> it's like, yes! <laughs> I get a vacation. So I, mean, I, I joke with Ginger, so, so basically what the lesson here is we all need to go to Butch's house and have dinner and if you want to get it and get it over with, because I've been saying since about June, unfortunately, I think it looks like we're all going to get this at some point or another. The I hope not at the same time, but it, but at the same token, it is spread enough. This is the one cool thing about viruses is they don't like killing people because if it kills you, it can't replicate. So at this point, it is spread enough that the, the, the mortality is starting to really come down. People are sick, yes, but nobody's, well, I won't say nobody, but not as many people are dying. So that is good news. Still not thrilled. Yay, somebody's sick. But at the same token, this is not the plague, and that is good news. So this is not the, uh, you know, the stand from Stephen King here. All right. Um. And they are, they're supposed to be around the corner. So combination of weaker virus, healthier people, and good treatment. Yay, this is, this is how medicine is supposed to work, right? Yep. All right, um, good news stuff. We are at attempting to get back to our regularly scheduled programming at some point this year. So with that said, the 22nd, reminder, we are having our Thanksgiving lunch after church on the 22nd. So we'll be in the gym. So you are being encouraged to bring a dish. Simple enough, right? Bring a dish. If you're coming to church that day, bring a dish. Have lunch with us. Um, I know I am cooking a turkey, and I had a couple other volunteers say that they were. I don't remember who you were, so if you remind me after the end of the service, I'd greatly appreciate it. <laughs> okay. I, I... Have we officially decided when they're no longer loving us and leaving? <laughs> <laughs> As I said this morning, our babies are all grown up and don't need us anymore. I'm fine. 
<laughs> so, all right. I had heard a conflicting thing. Before Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, when are you officially departing? A week from tomorrow, so. Yeah, next Sunday, yeah. So you're not going to be here for Thanksgiving. Way to go. Way to ruin Thanksgiving, Carolyn. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're, you're going to Mesa. Yeah, it's too warm there. Have fun. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm already upset because I'm going to North Carolina starting today, and it's going to be 78 degrees tomorrow, and I'm not looking forward to that at all. Like, I'm trying to pack for deer. Well, the problem is I'm trying to pack for deer hunting. You know how weird it is you're to pack for deer hunting when it's 78 degrees? It's, it's, I think I'm going to be sitting in a deer stand going, I think they can smell me from 12 miles. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So, and, I'm just, and, and, and Jada wants to sit in the stand with me. Now I got to sit with a seven-year-old girl in an 80-degree deer stand. Yeah, that's, that's a dis- Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, at least if she's cold, she can cuddle up in the corner and be quiet. If it's hot, she's going to be dancing and singing and the whole bit, so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, the one good advantage is there is something about children. If you've never been deer hunting with children, deer don't recognize children. Like, they're almost like an anomaly. Cameron went hunting with them years ago. They were little, like four and five. And the, Cameron went to go pick one up that she had gotten. And as she did that, the kids started throwing their stuff out of the stand. They're like, Mommy, you forgot the jackets. And they threw the jackets out of the stand. And Cameron's on the ground. Mommy, you forgot the binoculars. And there go the binoculars. You forgot my hat. And while they're doing this, more deer are coming out into the field, looking at them. <laughs> so there's something about children, young children and deer. They're just like, what is that? And Cameron's standing there holding the rifle going, Do I sh-? this almost feels wrong. <laughs> Cameron's going, leave, go away, dear. And they're just looking at her. What, what is that, lady? Yeah, at that point, yeah. So maybe that's what I need to do. I just need to send them out with some toys and sit them in the middle of the field and, you know, wait for the deer to come up and play like a Disney movie. <laughs> with... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they don't recognize the kid. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. We have gone off, off on a bizarre path, haven't we? All right, if you're listening online, have fun with that. Um, all right, trivia for the week. Uh, you can see last week's answers up there this week. This is where it's going to get real fun. We're starting to get into the fun stuff. The Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. True or false? Yeah, that, that, one, that one's a true one, right? Uh, of those that attend evangelical churches once a week, 87% of the people said that was a true statement. 10% says that, said that was a false statement. I wonder if that had anything to do with the same. I wonder what the overlap was on the group that thought that science had disproved the Bible. I would love to see the, the overlap on which group was which. You know, because how do you? Because th- you can't be in the group that says science has disproved the Bible and then say that the Bible can tell me how to live. <laughs> like those two things don't line up. But anyway, if you remove denominational considerations, so no attendance, no denomination, fifty-one percent of the people said that that was true, and forty percent said that was a false statement. So that means 40% of the people who would identify themselves as Christians said the Bible has no authority to tell me how to live my life. Which makes, makes me ask the question, mm-hmm. why are you in a Christian church? Yep. All right. This is a good one. You better get this one right. All right. I, I have standards here. Learning about theology is for pastors and scholars only. No. <laughs> if nothing else, the way that I do this on a Sunday morning should tell you that that is false. Now, of those that attend evangelical churches once a week, 26% said that was a true statement. So a quarter of the people that go to evangelical churches once a week said, why do I need theology? That's what the dude up there is for. And I've met some of these people because I, I have been in a deacon's meeting 
in a church that I pastored, and someone actually looked at me and said, well, that's what we pay you to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, I'm done. I'm done. I didn't last long there. Can you imagine why? Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I read the wrong one. I'm sorry. I have two sets of answers on here, and I read the wrong one. Only 10% of that was true. That's much better. 10%, but I still have met some of them. Um, 86% said that that was false. Now, if you removed, and this is interesting, because if you removed denominational considerations, only 15% said true, and 75% said false. So, 40% said, 40% of the people outside of evangelical churches said that the Bible has no authority to tell me how to live, but 75% of those people said they should know theology. Explain that to me. Why do you need to know something that has no bearing on your life? Like, I don't know how to do astrophysics. Do you know why? Because I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm not a rocket scientist. It has no bearing on my day-to-day life, whether or not, you know, I can calculate the distance between Mercury and Jupiter and whether or not there's a black. I don't care. So you know what I don't know about? Any of that stuff. Why would you learn theology if you think it's useless? Questions that keep me out of the good schools. I keep saying this. All right. <sighs> sex outside of mar- outside of traditional marriage is a sin. Yes, this is one of our foundational understandings of how to live in this world. Of those that attend evangelical churches once a week, 84% said that statement was true. 11% said that that statement was false. Get ready for it. If you remove denominational considerations and you remove a church attendance requirement, 51% said that statement was true, and 41 said that statement was false. So that would mean, once again, if you're just walking around on the street, you know, la-di-da, whatever, and 40% of people who identify as Christians would tell you that it doesn't matter who you have sex with or when you do it. And we wonder why society looks like what it looks like today. Yeah. And I wonder, again, if how much of that overlap is the same 40% that say the Bible has no bearing on how to live my daily life. I bet, you the, I bet you that Venn diagram looks like a rifle scope, you know, just straight through with a bullseye in the middle. So, again, I told you it was going to start getting interesting simply because this is now the benefit of this. When we look at the world and we see the brokenness of it, like we can't even count anymore. If nothing else, we have learned that large portions of our population can't count this week, Right? Not, not at least in anything resembling a healthy time frame. So why? Why, why? why do we not know how to count? Why do we not know what bathroom the majority of people should be using? Why do we not know what marriage is, what it's for, how we're supposed to use it, how families are supposed to function? Why? This is your answer. Because we have a plurality of Christians in churches saying, what do I need to know about the Bible for? It doesn't matter. It, it, this is why discipleship is so important. And again, good morning. It starts with who? See, this is always the important question. Who does theology and discipleship start with? It starts with you, individually. You being a disciple, and then you ensuring the people you have influence over as much as you're able are being discipled, which means who's discipling them? (laughs) You are. That's why you have been granted that influence over them. Does that mean they always take your advice and listen and do what you tell them? No, but you are called to do what? To do the work, to proclaim, trust in the work of the Holy Spirit, and continue on. We haven't done a great job of that in the church the last 40, 50 years in this country. And that's one of the reasons I think why we see what we see, especially in this survey. So there's your, uh, your bad news for the day. I guess we should have started with that too. <laughs> All right, anything else I am forgetting? Going once, 
Going twice. All right, I will sit down. We will stand and sing. I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered along. Worries and fears I claim for my own. Then like the blind man, the God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I was a fool to wander and stray. For straight is the gate and never rolled away. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Traditional, it's a newer traditional one, but um, it's an 80s. I guess today <laughs> 80s counts as traditional, I don't know. But um, it's called Be Strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and be our good courage. Your mighty defender is always the same. Mount up with wings. 
Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and be of good courage, for he is your guide. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and rejoice for the victory. So put on the armor the Lord has provided and place your defense in his unfailing care. Trust him for he will be with you in battle, lighting your path to Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and be of good courage, for he is your guide. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and rejoice for the victory. Strong in the Lord and be of good courage. Your mighty commander will vanquish the foe. Fear not the battle, for the victory is always his. He will protect you. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and be of good courage, for he is your guide. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and rejoice for the Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and be of good courage, for he is your guide. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and rejoice for the victory. the only problem with kids church they leave the biggest kid behind me 
Notice nobody's arguing with that. <coughs> All right. We are making our way through, let me see, this week, the eighth plague. Next week, the ninth plague. Then it's Thanksgiving, and then it's Christmas, which means you have to wait till almost January before we, uh, we finally finish all the plagues and get back to Exodus. So if you're going, no more plagues, just two more weeks. If you're going, oh, then you got to wait, sorry. But Christmas is always fun. We, we have joy with that. So, All right. Believe it or not, as we get into Exodus 10, the plagues are picking up and they are winding down, <laughs> which sounds silly, but I'm going to go with it. We are moving towards the conclusion of this interaction with God and Egypt. Remember what has been going on the entire time. God demonstrating his power, not just over things, but also in places. So when the plagues are over, you will not be able to make the argument that God is God in the promised land because he's just demonstrated his power in Egypt, and he will have demonstrated his power at the Red Sea. He will have demonstrated his power in the wilderness. He is God everywhere. How will Israel know this? It will have been shown to them. God has been doing this from the beginning. Now, what would it look like if God completely forsook your nation? So if your nation was forsaken by God, no looking at the news. <laughs> that is not the answer, <laughs> I don't think. I'm not going to say that definitively. I'm not going to say that definitively. But biblically, you can actually get some answers to this. You can look at things like Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. You can look at Genesis 39, the description of the destruction of Jerusalem. You could also add Exodus chapter 10 to that list. What does it look like when God has said about your nation, I have had enough? And if you remember Bill Cosby, that's when mom is supposed to stand there with the yardstick like a samurai sword. But you know, Are we still allowed to use Bill Cosby jokes? I, I know he's not a, a nice person, apparently, but who knew? Who would say, did, you wonder why I tell you to look at people over the course of a lifetime? There is a perfect example. How many of you had on your bingo card in 2005 that Bill Cosby was a mass rapist? <laughs> like, like, no, he sells pudding and makes silly faces. Apparently, he's raping every woman that has ever worked for him. See, this is why you judge a life not by now, not by five minutes from now, not by five minutes ago, but by the totality of it. So, if you are over 30, you should start praying now. Lord, give me the strength and the wisdom to finish well. Because that is the place where so many people stumble. It is at the end when all of the blessings of this world have been taken, when all of the advantages of youth and strength in life are gone, when our core being is truly revealed, and so many people wander astray because they have never been firmly grounded in God. They were grounded in something else, and the struggles of life have revealed it. Now, we haven't even got to the Exodus party. That was for free, so that, that is not part of the regularly scheduled programming, so now we will resume regularly scheduled programming by reading Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? 
Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what is left to you from the hail. They will eat what every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Then your houses shall be filled, and the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then he said to them, Thus may the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. Not so. Go now the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt, and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened. They ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus, nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. I promise we will get through all of that this morning. Now, a couple of things, because we're going to deal with the difficult part right off the bat. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. This is why I say it is escalating. God is judging the people. This is judgment in action. If left to your own devices in this moment, if you were Pharaoh, what would you do? Get out! <laughs> Leave, please. Who is ensuring that doesn't happen? God is. Why? Because he's judging that nation. And he is demonstrating his power not over some of creation, but over all of creation. He will demonstrate his righteous judgment not over some of Egypt, but over all of Egypt, and there will be no doubt. Now, reminder, we do not read Bible verses in a vacuum, because this is one that messes people up. If you are not grounded in the context of this book and the understanding of how God operates, this Bible verse will kick you in the back of the head and you will fall down and not make sense of it. So let's rewind. Was Moses shocked by this declaration? Exodus chapter 7. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of this land. 
but I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Moses isn't shocked by this. You don't read in this, Moses shakes his head. Moses does what after he proclaims? He turns around and walks out. There's no doubt. There's no wonder. The apostles were not shocked when they read this. Paul helps you make sense of it in Romans 9. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You can rewind even further in scripture and go back to places like, oh, I don't know, Genesis 15. When Abraham is uh, placed into covenant with God, at the end of that, after God has passed through the, the cut pieces and he has bound himself to his promises to Abraham, what does he tell him? Your people will be strangers in a strange land for 400 years, and I will bring them out. It's not like God's going to go, hey guys, all right, it's time to come home. No, God will physically bring them out. You are seeing that in action here in Exodus. And God is certainly not surprised by this either. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. We've made mention of this before. If God wanted to end Egypt on plague one, could he? Yes. He has chosen not to do so. He has chosen not to do so for multiple reasons. One is judgment. One is mercy. We mentioned this last week. The more we have talked about the judgment of God in these plagues, the more we have been able to highlight what? His mercy towards his people, Israel, and to the Egyptians themselves. Even now, what are you seeing? A warning, a time frame. There's nothing you can do about it, but there is still an opportunity not for Pharaoh to get right, because we know Pharaoh's not getting right. But who does have the opportunity to get right? Other Egyptians, advisors, other people. And again, I keep, I pre keep bringing this up because I don't want you to forget this. When we get back to the Exodus in January and the people are actually leaving Israel, pay attention to how God gives them the instructions and the commandments. We'll, get to, we'll cover that when we get there. So verse 2. So he's going to perform the signs that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now, who is God doing this for? Two people doing this to demonstrate judgment over Egypt, but also what? Power and redemption for his people. Again, go back to Romans 9 with Paul. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Place that in the context of the Exodus. God could have wiped out Egypt in plague one. He didn't. Is God going to wipe out Egypt at plague ten? Yes. He is going to decimate them over the course of ten plagues. He's going to destroy the army in the Red Sea. He's going to condemn and judge Pharaoh as he casts him into the water. This is going to happen. We've known this since Exodus 3 and 4. God has known this since before the foundations of the world. Why go through the ten plagues? If we could have done this in plague one, why go through ten? How many times have we made mention of the Israelites in Goshen? See, it's a strengthening for the people that are walking along. We've made mention when the hail is going on and there is no hail in Goshen, the Israelites are kind of standing around going, okay, dude, this is weird. This is, there's something going on here. Or when the cattle are just dropping dead and your cattle are just fine. Or when there's, like I said, we said the hail. Or when the water turns to blood 
And there's still water in the ground that we can dig up. There's, there's a mercy and a demonstration for the people. God is being patient with his people and with not his people. Because God's wrath should be poured out how quickly on the Egyptians when he judges them. When your kids do wrong, do you want to sit there and negotiate with them? No. I want to tell you what you did wrong. I want to tell you what you should have done right. And if there's discipline that needs to be meted out, when should it be dealt with? Now. I don't spank you next week for something you did today. That's abuse, right? You walk up to your kid and go, that was for last Tuesday. Kid's like, what happened last Tuesday? What'd I do? No. When, When do you want to deal with judgment and discipline? Now. That's when it's effective. Now. God is demonstrating his patience, not just with his people, but with not his people. He could have judged Egypt Egypt in plague one. He chose not to, to show his patience, to show his power, and to show his grace and his mercy, not just on the people that are Israel, but on the people who will be Israel. And that's part of the distinction that's being drawn here. So, I just lost my water. God is doing this work even now for his people. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament. Places like Joshua 4, they cross the, uh, the Jordan. The Jordan is stopped for them so they can walk through. And after they're done that, God says, get some people to go back and get some stones. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he had pointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, come again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? So in other words, We've crossed. We walked across the Jordan at flood stage, and we didn't die. Now go back. And when you're in the middle of the river, grab some rocks. Take them out of the river, walk back across, and put them down. Now, someone gives you that command. You're probably thinking, why am I being punished? Like, I actually know people that use this as a punishment for their kids. When their kids get out of line and they won't behave at school, they get a pile of dirt and it's in one side of the yard. You know what they do on a Saturday? They move it from this side of the yard to that side of the yard. And on Sunday, you know what they have to do after church? I have to take a pile of dirt and take it from that part of the yard and put it right back where they found it. <laughs> you know what? Manual labor is not always bad for you. So if you had to go back and get the stones, you're like, what did I do wrong? Well, you didn't do anything wrong. So why am I putting this rock here? Let this be a sign. So when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? You shall say to them, the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. See, this is one of the ways I think we've messed up the idea of testimony in the church. Do you know, for the most part, how many unbelievers really care about testimonies of God's goodness and grace? They don't. Some of them do. They just think it's a neat story. But it doesn't usually change hearts and minds. Do you know who that strengthens, though? Us, believers. I hear the great and awesome things God has done for you, and I'm going, yes, he's still working. That strengthens me. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit that was at work in you to accomplish those things is the same Holy Spirit that is in me being stirred up by those things. This is why we should know our theology. This is why we should grow in our discipleship. This is why we should study our Bibles, because it strengthens us, because we see the mighty works of God. We see the perseverance and the grace and the mercy, and we go, yes, yes, that's the God who I'm working for day in and day out. He is gracious and abounding in loving kindness, and he has not ceased from his labors. Go team. That's good news. That's what testimony is for. These plagues aren't a testimony to Egypt about the goodness of God, but they are a testimony to those that he is saving about the goodness of God. 
because it's a reminder that I could have been in that field. I could have been drowned in those waters. I could have been any number of things, but I'm not. Why? Because God has preserved me. So let's keep moving. My water keeps turning sideways on me. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, there it is, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. This is not good news. If you have never seen locusts, or even our uh, North American kin, the, uh, the, the little cicada bugs, well, uh, Cameron and I's first year in Stoneville, North Carolina, we had the 17-year, uh, it's a 17-year cycle outbreak of cicadas. It's insane. Three weeks of no silence. It was never quiet for three weeks. I was losing my mind. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you had to drive with headlights and windshield wipers on, even though it was sunny. Because you'd be driving down the road smushing them. There were actually wrecks because they would get run over on the highway, and like when leaves build up on the road in the fall and the road gets slick, the bugs were doing that to the highway. And people were having accidents because they couldn't stay on the road. It was They covered our grass. They covered our trees. I didn't want to walk across the parking lot to my office because it's like I'm walking like this. This is ridiculous. And they hit you in the head, and you feel like you should apologize because they're like this big. It's like somebody threw a dart at you with no tip on the end. It's like, ow! It was, it was insane, and then the, the worst part was they all died one day. Literally, one day they all died. And I walked, walked outside one morning and went, it's quiet. What's wrong? Wait a minute. It's quiet! <laughs> that was interesting. This is literally biblical proportions. When we always talk about a disaster of biblical proportions, we're talking about the plagues. Now, why locusts? One, they're literally uncontrollable. Two... The, notice the means. The Egyptian god Set, which, again, I love who names these people. God of the desert, storms, disorder, violence, and foreigners. It's, it's almost like Catholic saints, where it's like he's, he's, the, he's the patron saint of, what, what is it? Um, is it? Is it Nicholas, who's the patron saint of archers, pawnbrokers, sailors, and children? You know, what kind of list is that? Like, how did you get archers and children grouped together? It's kind of like that when you go into ancient religions. God of desert storms, disorder, violence, and foreigners. I guess because foreigners come from the desert. I'm going to go with that. Now, Set did have a positive role in Egyptian mythology. He Part of his job was he would occasionally go to help Ra on some sky chariot kill a monster of disorder. I'm not sure how that actually works, but you can go read the mythology. It's kind of nice. He was known as the Lord of the Red Land. Guess what the Red Land is? The desert land. It's the, it's, it's the sandy stuff. Now, remember all of this description when we get to the actual locust, because it's going to become very important, and if we cover it now, then we can't cover it then, so we'll come back to it. Know this, though. Like all the rest of the gods that we have mentioned, Set 2 is going to be defeated. So, verse 5. They shall cover, this is the locusts, they shall cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what, is, of what has escaped, what has left you from the hail. Remember, the hail didn't destroy all the crop because some of the crops were not in bud yet. They will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Your houses shall be filled and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians 
something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. I mean, I love that. Proclaims this great disaster and he's like, <laughs> no buy, no bite me, no or else, just finish talking. He gone. <laughs> All right, what just happened? Now, notice this though. When I say the plagues are escalating, What's left? Like, if locusts come and consume the rest of the crops, we've messed with the water, we've messed with the cattle, we've messed with the... What have you got left? Like, you're Job sitting at home scraping yourself because you had boils too. I mean, this is... There's, there's nothing... At what point... Or maybe I should say this. At some point, don't you have to figure, God's running out of things to take away from me. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, I'm next. Like it's 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 like being it's like being out someplace with a group of people. It's like those bad horror movies. There's like eight when they start, and then somebody gets one of them. And after a while, you're like, you know, the odds of me getting out of here are starting to get very slim because they're running out of people you can get besides me. Yeah, this is what's going on. This is intentional. Time is running out. Isaiah 55. God is demonstrating about Himself. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let me put it this way. If you're an Egyptian connected to Pharaoh's court, do you think you'd be examining house prices and property values in Goshen right about now? Like, you know... We stuck them over there because nobody really likes Goshen, but it's kind of looking like prime real estate right now. There's no hail. There's no locusts. The cattle don't drop dead. They don't have frogs. I mean, you know, this is, this is kind of looking like a sweet deal here. If you did that, what would you be saying? Because remember, this is why I keep pointing out the pantheon of Egypt and the gods of Egypt that Yahweh is taking out. This is not just a repudiation of the people of Egypt. It is not a repudiation of their culture. It is a repudiation of their worship. To say I'm going to leave Egypt and flee to the safety of Goshen is to say I'm going to leave Egypt. I'm going to leave Set and Isis and Hathor and all of these fake people we've made up. And I'm going to flee to the protection that Yahweh himself has provided. I'm getting out while there is still time. We mock the crazy guy on the side of the street, you know, the one with the beard and the long hair and the sandwich board. But if you're going to write the sandwich board and make a joke, what does it say? Repent, the end is near. Or if you're really, you know, old King James, the end is nigh. That just makes you sound a little wild-eyed and crazy, right? We need more nigh. What's the gospel message? Turn to God while there is still time. This world will bring you judgment and death. Get out while you still can. You're seeing the gospel in action in the plagues of Egypt. There is no new salvation. You are seeing Yahweh in his patience preserving even the people of Egypt and progressing through so that those whom he will be saving out of Egypt will come to him. They will flee to safety. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good 
or bad. Christian, is that good news for you? It's a trick question, sort of. Do you want to be judged based on whether or not your deeds are good or bad? (laughs) I don't. I don't. I certainly don't. Because you know what I know? I can quote Paul from Romans 7 and go, that's me. See, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I'm like, how did I end up doing that? You're standing in the middle of your sin going, how did I get here? Like, there was no sign, there was no road post, and all of a sudden I'm in the middle of knee-deep sin, and I don't know what happened. No, I don't want to be judged for my works. And that's the goodness of the gospel, is I'm not. Is in Christ I'm judged for his works, and his works are good. See, this is why we can proclaim salvation to a lost world. Because it's not, you know, God's going to judge works whether they're good or bad. And yours stink. Mine, on the other hand, I got this. No, I don't got this. My good works are only good because they are offered in Christ. Christ is what makes my works good and acceptable to the Father. The warning of your judgment being good or bad, your works being judged as good or bad, is that all our works are bad, but Christ is good. That's, again, why our gospel call is not, hey, join us and you'll get it right. It's no, we're all terrible at this, but that God is amazing and a gracious, loving Savior that saves and works even amongst the least of these, and that no matter what the sin may be, the mercy and grace and blood of Christ covers it. That's the message we proclaim. If they think we're better than them, we have done something terribly wrong, terribly wrong, and we have missed it. And that is why we, again, have to be careful where we stand. Yes, there's a judgment coming. I have no doubt. Yes, there will be judgment based on our works. No doubt. My works aren't good because I made them good. They're good because Christ has made them good. So, by example, Moses storms out. Aaron goes with him. Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize Egypt is destroyed? Like, because here's here, think about this. Give these guys some credit right now. Moses comes in and says, The water turns to blood. What's gonna happen? The water turned to blood. There's gonna be frogs. What happened the next day? There were frogs, there's going to be flies, and there were flies, there's going to be gnats, and there's gnats. The cattle are all going to drop dead, and the cattle all drop dead. There's going to be boils, and there were boils. You know, at some point, there's a wise man in Pharaoh's court going, you know, every time these two jokers show up and say, hey, something bad is about to happen, doggone it, something bad happens. And it's always the thing that they said. Notice the terminology. Egypt is destroyed. We're done. This is, this is happening. Locusts are going to come. They're going to eat what's left of our stuff. And what are we going to have left? We'll have a whole bunch of Israelite slaves. What cattle are they going to tend? What crops are they going to harvest? <laughs> I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to kill them so that we can eat because we can't compete with them for food. And this whole thing started because the Israelites outnumbered the Egyptians and the Egyptians were afraid they would rise up and kill them. So when it comes down to like the Hunger Games and it's time to battle out over the food, who's going to win? The Israelites. There's more of them than us. They're going to kill us, take all our food. What little food we have left. Let them go. This is wisdom in action. Go team. Proverbs 11. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. 
but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Yay! See, people are starting to get it. Now, remember, these are the people amongst whom God is still preserving. What do we know about Pharaoh? Pharaoh's being judged. Pharaoh is being judged. You ever wonder why you can talk to somebody? It doesn't matter how many times you proclaim the gospel. It doesn't matter how many times you prove the mercy of God. It's just like, they don't, it's like it lands on the wall behind them. Nothing sinks in. Welcome to Pharaoh. Yes, if you ask me, there are people in this world that God has determined that he is judging. The Bible is clear on this. You're seeing an example of it with Pharaoh. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like it. Because I'm a sinner, and I recognize that I'm not a worse sinner than they are. And I'm judging based on me. And if he gave me grace, you know what I want him to give them? The same grace, because they're no worse than me, and I might actually be worse than them. You know what we both are before God? Yeah, we're about big. Exactly. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, I messed it up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I won't do it again. <clears throat> See? All right, I can't move that side of me, apparently. Oh, hang on. All right, if I stand like this the rest of the day, it'll be fine, right? You're good with this, right? I just look like I've broken something. All right. <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> it's like it's a myth that the sound system just fries your brain completely. No. We don't judge the world based on a comparison to us. I'm not the standard. See, Christians, we have a tendency to do this backwards. We have a tendency to go, well, I'm not that bad because look at them, or I'm not that bad, look at them. What we fail to remember is that, no, we're all bad because look at him. At the same token, we go, well, why did they get judged? They're not that bad. Look at me. Wrong standard, Christian. Look at him. And we have to remember what does every human being that has ever walked this earth deserve barring Christ? We deserve judgment. It is by the grace of God that any have been saved. So yes, God is pouring out his judgment on Pharaoh. That will be obvious as we continue working through this chapter. But in the midst of that, he is also pouring out his mercy and his grace upon Israel and upon the Egyptians that he will bring out of Egypt when he takes Israel out. So verse 8. In light of this counsel, Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, I didn't touch it. He said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Is, is that an admission of defeat? Go and serve the Lord your God. Who's going? Just out of, you know, curiosity. Remember how this all started. Negotiations. Exodus chapter 3. Moses is supposed to do the signs before the elders of Israel, and they will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now, please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I didn't do anything. I didn't even breathe. Okay. All right. <sighs> Where was I? 
But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand, strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst, and after that he will let you go. Now remember, that's not what God promised the Israelites. He didn't promise them that Pharaoh will let you go three days into the wilderness for a sacrifice. He said, I will deliver my people out of Egypt. So why did he tell Moses to ask for a three-day trip? Because it's a first step in a negotiation. It was reasonable. I don't want to let the people go completely, but I'll let them go into the desert for a little festival, right? I'm a nice guy. No, Pharaoh said no even to that. God was going to negotiate in reverse. He was going to ask for the least and eventually get to what? The most, where he's going to take the people out completely. You're seeing Pharaoh now doing the negotiation. Sure, I'll let you go, but who's going? Now, fun question of the day with an obvious answer. Is there negotiating with God? <laughs> now, Moses said, we shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, our flocks, our herds, we shall go. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book starting right there. We must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, so Pharaoh said to them, thus may the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. Not so. Go now the men among you. And serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. I, I think that's a no. I'm just going to go on a limb and say that's probably a no. Now, Moses answered, has Pharaoh changed any since Exodus chapter 5, when he mocked the Israelites for their complaining? If you remember, he said, you're lazy, very lazy. Therefore, you say, let us go to sacrifice to the Lord. And I say it like that because I think that's how Pharaoh said it to them. He was mocking them. He was insulting them. None of that is changed. Why not? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, this is the thing you have to remember. When we understand God pouring out his judgment on Pharaoh, is Pharaoh's heart wicked and sinful because God is judging him? The answer to that is no. God is judging Pharaoh because his heart is wicked and sinful. God doesn't have to do anything to Pharaoh to get this reaction. All God has to do is leave him alone. Just leave him alone. Go ahead, ask Pharaoh questions. You know how Pharaoh's going to answer you? Like a sinful, pride-filled wretch. And what is he doing? Exactly that. God's not, Pharaoh is not answering like this because God is judging him. God is judging him because Pharaoh answers like this. Does that make sense? Okay, just making sure. Now then. Let's do some good old-fashioned gospel application to the people of God, because this helps put you in perspective. What's wrong with this answer, other than everything I just said? What's the underlying assumption about Moses and the Israelites from Pharaoh? <laughs> They're liars. They're cheats. They're thieves. They're going to steal anything but good. Christian, how do you feel about people? <laughs> and I get that, but that's the problem. That's what corrupting influence of the world looks like. You want to see what worldliness in regards to personal relationships looks like? It looks like Pharaoh interacting with the Israelites. I am not good at this by any stretch, but I made a commitment to myself about, about five, six years ago that I was going to give more people the benefit of the doubt because I was not raised that way. I did not live that way. I still don't as often as I should. But I made a commitment that I need to give people the benefit of the doubt and stop assuming the worst of people, especially 
especially if they claim the name of Christ. Even if they're part of that 40% that think the Bible's useless and that they don't need to know theology. Even if they're that group, they need to have the benefit of the doubt if they claim to be a fellow Christian. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it, jo- it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. We have been planned to be in this section of Exodus since the middle of last year. How many of you have watched the news this week and thought about 70 million people in this country are evil? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. It is beside the point. What happens when we get into... And I'm not saying we're involved in worldly pursuits, but when we are into them, I mean up to our knees and our elbows. I'm not telling you not to vote. You should have voted. You're a citizen of this country. You have that right. This is part of being a good citizen. You should be an informed voter, and you should make a good vote as a Christian. But what I'm, t- what I'm warning you against is how many of you left the ballot box or watched the news and went, I can't believe 65 whatever million people are that stupid. I cannot believe this many people want that. Is that enduring all things? Is that hoping all things? Now, why do I bring that up? And by the way, you know who is just as guilty of that as you are? Me. Me. John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, Disagree sharply. Disagree truthfully. Stand unapologetically upon the truth of Christ. Cast a ballot in the name of Christ. Live and proclaim your life in such a way that there is no doubt where you stand and why you stand there. Amen? Do not fall into the trap that the people that disagree with you are the enemy. They are not. They are the prize. The prize that by our good works, by our proclamation of the truth, and by our testimony of the righteousness of God that we seek to win. They are deceived. They are deceitful in heart. They are wicked in their thoughts and minds. Absolutely. But that is because of whom they serve. And the gospel of Christ can change It changed me. It changed you. It can change them. No matter how judgment is poured out. Now, this is important in our world today because, look, I'll just be honest. We're going to be asked to accept some real interesting things in the next few years, okay? Regardless of who wins whatever election. Somebody's going to look at you and go, look! And you're going to go, no. No. And you should say, no. They are not the enemy. Our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the prince and power and the principalities of this world, the ruler of this world. That's why our weapons are not of this world. We are protected by faith. 
we are grounded by the grace of God. We wield a weapon that is a book. And that doesn't mean you hit people with it. <laughs> I know that's been my joke for years. Like, when in doubt, get a bigger Bible. <clears throat> Start working on that forehand. No, that's not what I mean. We wield the weapon because it is what cuts and severs. The Holy Spirit working through the words that testify to Christ is what separates soul and spirit. If we fail to wield that, we have fallen into the trap of this world. We have abandoned our foundation, and we have lost the weapon that truly changes. So, once again, I'm going to say this. Stand unapologetically upon the truth. Proclaim it loudly. When whatever side that is does what is wicked, you say, that is wicked. But know that they are not the enemy. The power behind them is, and we seek to win hearts and minds by the proclamation of the truth of Christ. And there's a difference between you idiots and that is wrong. Understood? <laughs> and again, speaking to me as much as I am speaking to you, because this is the danger of the world. I've asked you this a thousand times. We'll probably ask you a thousand more. What in this world is going, you know, you're just not godly enough. You need to, you know, to be grounded more in the Holy Spirit and to be guided by Christ. You, you, should, you should go to church more. What in, when was the last time somebody had stopped you at Walmart and been like, you know, you, you, just, you just need more Jesus in your life? No, they probably ran into you with your card, with their card, and told you, you're going the wrong way down the aisle. And you just like, just leave me alone. I want to leave. I want to go home. They are not the enemy. They feel like it some days. They are not the enemy. So verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. Now, why do it like that? What's east of Egypt? How many of you are geography pros here? There's really only two major geographical features east of Egypt. There's the Red Sea. Locusts don't come from the sea, so that's out. And there's basically desert. Lots and lots and lots of desert. So the locusts came from where? The desert. That's why east wind blows them up, blows them over the sea, and drops them in Egypt. Who's god of the desert? Set. Who's God of chaos? Set. Who's God of foreigners? Set. So what you have is foreigners bringing you chaos from the desert. Don't we have a God that we pray to that's supposed to stop this sort of thing? Where is he? What's he doing? Now you want to turn into Elijah. Well, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a nap. Louder! He can't hear you! And yes, those are actually the questions that Elijah asked on the top of Mount Carmel. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's gone on vacation. Who knows? No. Believe it or not, using means like this not only cast down the Egyptian gods, but they elevate Yahweh even more. Remember Colossians 2 from a couple weeks ago? When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. 
Remember we made mention that um, Paul talking about that victory psalm of David, how you would parade your redeemed captives before your city and how you would parade the defeated enemy before the city when you return from victorious. That's what God does with Jesus in Colossians 2. He parades the defeated sin and the redeemed people before God to celebrate their redemption. That's what these locusts are. See, if the Egyptians had gone to bed that night and just woken up the next morning and there were locusts everywhere, where did they come from? Ooh, it's a trick. It's magic. Something happened. But when you can watch them coming and you see them coming from the desert by the hand of the foreigners, being blown by the wind, like you have deities that are supposed to control all of these things. What do you now know about those deities? You either know they're not real or they just got whooped. Either way, that's not good for you. This is, the, this is the victory parade in action. God is demonstrating there is no doubt what is going on. So the locusts come up over all the land of Egypt and settled in the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again, for they covered the surface of the whole land. The land was darkened. They ate every plant of the land, all the fruit of the trees, all that the hail had left. Thus, nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? We just asked that question. What's the answer? If you didn't realize it before, you realize it now. There's nothing left. Nothing left. Wait a minute. Behave yourself. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Ooh, that's progress, isn't it? Therefore, please forgive my sin only this once, and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. Believe it or not, this is, this is close, probably closer than I give it credit for. Um, Israel's great proclamation at the temple was Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, You shall bless the sons of Israel and shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Israelites have been saying that at sacrifice, at Passover seders, at festivals for, eh, give or take about 3,000 years. To the point that if you walk up to an Orthodox Jew today and say, the Lord bless you and keep you and stop, it's like someone walking up and going, sweet Caroline. You see, your brain's got to go, bah, bah, bah. if you walk up to an Orthodox Jew and say, the Lord bless you and keep you, he's going to go through the rest. He's just going to because it is just ingrained. That's what Pharaoh wants. Make supplication. Remove, notice that, this death from me. Who's starting to see the forest for the trees here? Pharaoh. People are dying. Crops are gone. There is no future, and the only one that seemingly has any power and authority to do anything about it is this Yahweh you keep talking about. So do me a favor. Go ask. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. I'm adding Moses because, again, the, the he's get confusing because they just keep using he in Exodus, and it's annoying. Um, Moses went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. Why? Well, for starters, isn't that what the man of God is supposed to do? Like when someone walks up to you and goes, pray for me. Do you go, no, 
I will do no such thing. Get away, you. No, see, you're laughing. We don't do that. Why? Because I'm a Christian, and I pray. So when you say, pray for me, hey, that's a win. Now I know what to pray for, because if you're like me most days, you're not a great prayer. You're like, hey, I got something now. I can add this. Now I know what I should be praying for, because you asked. So the man from God should do what? He should pray. But remember, is that all Moses is? Is Moses just this plucky little prophet that God picked up and put down someplace? No, he's serving a purpose in the bigger story of Scripture. Moses isn't just the man of God. He's the man from God. John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, believes in him, will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. See, Moses has to pray for Pharaoh and make supplication. Not just because he's being nice, but because he's a picture of Christ. And Pharaoh has come to him and said, please make supplication to God. So Moses says, yes. Why? Because Moses is a picture of the prophet, the deliverer that is to come from God. And what is the promise of Christ? That all who come to him, that all who trust in him, he will raise up on the last day. Not some of them, not most of them, all of them. That's why I warned you to pray, God, let me finish well. Because if I walk away now, you know what I know? I never actually came to him. And if I live a life that dishonors him, then I'm not walking in him, which means he's not raising me up because I'm not his. <laughs> but if I am his, I am secure. If I am his, I have no doubt. If I am his, I will persevere because he will bring me kicking and screaming if he has to across that finish line because that is the work that he does. All that the Father has given me, I will raise up. So, verse 19. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. I think we had a wind like that a couple months ago, didn't we? Just kind of blew everything out into, into uh, Indiana into Lake Michigan. Now, does God listen to Moses? Yes. Why? Because again, Moses is a picture of the work that Christ will do. Why are your prayers heard by God? Because Christ is seated at the right hand making intercession. Why are your concerns God's concerns? Because you are Christ's and Christ belongs to God. Therefore, you belong to God. This is one of those other theology ones that we don't like to talk about, but this is why I don't encourage unbelievers to pray. Nobody's listening. I mean, God knows that they're praying, but they don't have an advocate before the Father if they do not have Christ. Without Christ, your prayers are useless. With Christ, they are of infinite value. We don't like to think about that because that really takes everything off of me, doesn't it? Like, there's not even my prayers are good, man. No, no, even our prayers stink. But Christ makes them good. Christ makes those works good. So if Christ, if God hears the prayers of an unbeliever, it's because guess what? They aren't anymore. 
They're not an unbeliever because that means Christ is advocating for them, which means now they are good. Now they are clean. Now they are righteous, not because they have changed, but because Christ has claimed them. There's a difference between those two things. That's why Pharaoh is not calling out to God. See, catch this. Do people stop sinning in hell? Like, if you've sinned your whole life and God judges you for your sin and sends you to judgment, are you going to stop sinning? (laughs) I'm going to turn it up to 11. (laughs) Now, dumb question. Why don't people in hell repent? Like, if there's, have you met this person? They're like, well, you know, if there's a God, when I stand before him, I'll, I'll, I'll do something then. No, you won't. Nobody in hell has dawned on them at any point to go, you know, this whole fire and brimstone and gnashing of teeth thing, this is, this is not all it's cut out to be. I think I'd like to go to the other place. Why, why don't they do that? Why can't they? See, I'll help you out. It has never crossed their mind. They are an enemy of God. Why isn't Pharaoh going, Yahweh, I'm sorry? It's never crossed his mind. Moses, do something for me. Remember the parable about um, the rich man and Lazarus? Send Lazarus back to my brothers. At no point was it, hey, get me out of here. I'm sorry, I was wrong. I messed up. It was send that guy to bring me some water and then send him back to my brother so they don't... It never crosses the mind. This is what the unregenerate heart looks like if the Holy Spirit doesn't change it. This is the heart of stone compared to the heart of flesh. Pharaoh's not sitting there going, I need to be forgiven. I have sinned against you people and against God. What must I do to be saved? It's, you go make supplication and remove this death from me. All right, fine. God listens to me, but he's not listening to you. And proof of that, verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. See, the judgment has not gone anywhere. Why not? God's still teaching. What is he teaching? an example that you can get from the book of Revelation. Now, we get tied up in Revelation because it's, it's, it's okay to say it's weird, right? Like, all the imagery, it, it, it can mess with your brain and you get confused. But, and because of that, I think we have a tendency to read Revelation with, like, uh, with the hopes of a secret decoder ring, and we miss the easy messages. So, Revelation 6, the end of chapter 6. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong That's a lot of people. And every slave and free man hid himself in the cave and among the rocks of the mountains. Why for they do that? They said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the lamb. There's an oxymoronic statement if there ever was one. The wrath of the lamb. You ever looked at a little lamb and gone, ooh, scary. Yeah, exactly. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? See, that's the end of judgment in chapter 6 of Revelation. God is judging all sin. The wrath of God is being poured out against all unrighteousness, and the people are going, hide us, because there's no one left. There's, there's nowhere left. Better for you to drop a mountain on me to make me stand before that guy. It's in the context of that that chapter 7 occurs. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, 
from every nation and all tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Now stop. How did chapter 6 end? Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? There was a great multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm, palm branches are in their hands. They cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. See, the judge of the world are running around trying to hide, going, we can't stand before the throne and before the Lamb. And in the very next chapter, this vast multitude in white robes are standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're worshiping. Who are they? The angel tells John, these are the ones who have been made made white and washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They are the ones who have turned to Christ. They, therefore, now stand before the throne. They stand before the Lamb. And when the wrath is poured out, it is poured out on them and not those that stand. It's a simple lesson. You're seeing it right here in the Exodus. Pharaoh cannot stand. Where is Moses? Don't you negotiate with me a minute ago, and now you want me to call out to God? Yeah, that's not how this works. This is why we have to be so careful in this world. This is why I warn you and me about how we interact and how we think about people in this world. Because we've we've done this math equation before. If I want to change the way you act, what should I do? See, we have a bad habit of thinking that what I need to do is get some rules and some laws so that you can't do the stuff that's not good for you. No. If I want to change what you do, I need to change how you think. And in order to change how you think, I need to change what you want. So when I look at the world and I see them doing things that are just against common sense, against the words of Scripture, and against the dictates of God and the mercy of Christ, they don't, they don't need my anger. They don't need my violence. What they need is a change of heart. They do those things because they think they're good because they want them. They need to think other things are good because they want better things. What changes the hearts and minds of men? God does. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that changes the hearts and minds of men, and he uses the means of the gospel message preached to the nations. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, if I delight myself in the Lord, what are the desires of my heart? The Lord! So when I delight myself in him, what does he give me? Him. They're not delighting in him, so what do they want? Everything else. What changes that? The message of scripture. They're not the enemy. Feels like they're the enemy. Feels like Pharaoh's the enemy. Pharaoh's not the enemy. He's a symbol of the enemy. The enemy is sin. How it corrupts, what it corrupts, where it corrupts, and all that it corrupts. What's the cure? The proclamation of God and his mercy and grace. Christian, you know you have it. Live it. Believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. That's the call we get in this world. Now, when we get an opportunity to change that, Take advantage of it, absolutely. But in the interim, remember, we believe and we trust not in this world, but in a kingdom that is to come. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you that in the midst of our craziness, your guiding hand is strong, that in the midst of our uncertainty, your kingdom is secure, your throne is grounded, 
Your world will come to pass. Your mercy is just. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen us, that no matter how we walk in this world, that we would walk faithfully in you, that no matter what we encounter, we would proclaim your truth, knowing that it is your mercy and your love that changes people. And it is only your change that will make anything better. Lord, strengthen us for that task. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give thanks with the grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with the grateful heart give thanks to the holy one give thanks because he's given jesus christ his son and now let the week I am strong and let the poor see I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us and now let the weak see I am strong and let the poor see I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks with the grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give because he's given Jesus Christ his son give thanks with the grateful heart give thanks to the Holy One give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ is Son. And now let the weak see I am strong, and let the poor see I am rich, because of what the Lord has done. For us. And now let the weak see I am strong, and let the poor see I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks.